So, I don't know if you're a big Les Mis fan. I am. I've seen it six times on, uh, on stage. Uh, New York, uh, uh, London, Houston, Dallas. Can I just tell you, even Russell Crowe in Javert's role could not ruin it for me. Um, but, um, but what I wanted you to draw from that moment is that uh, there's, this, there's, this, there's this moment where Jean Valjean, the protagonist, and Javert, the antagonist, have come together, and Jean Valjean is about to leave. And as he's about to leave and become freed from prison, this song is being played beneath the scene with the words, you'll always be a slave. And that scene just hit me because I thought that's a perfect picture. That's a perfect scene, a perfect moment that exemplifies our life in Christ. We are so quick to jump out and yell, freedom, it's all about being free, free in Christ, free, free, free. Yes, but in our freedom, we are still always a slave. We're going to unpack that a little bit as we jump into Galatians chapter 5. That's our calling, an invitation to a life of freedom, yet within freedom, we will always be a slave. Paul worked this out in Galatians 5 when he said this, For you were called to be free, brothers, Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the entire law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you will be consumed by one another. Say then, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Our calling is to live in freedom. This freedom is not meant, as Paul describes, to lead us into this life that is to satisfy the sinful desires. That's what we were freed from. That's what Christ died to set us free from. That bondage that keeps us tied to sin. Instead, this freedom is designed to lead us toward a life that chooses to serve. We're going to break this down a little bit more. Um, this, this, whole, this whole passage here, it's happening here in Galatians where Paul is writing to the church of Galatia. Uh, if, you, if you want to dive real down deep into it, uh, originally they were thinking it was the northern part. And they're saying, well, we think the letter was going more toward the southern part of uh, Galatia and the believers that were constituted there. Really kind of irrelevant for the discussion. The reality is that he was writing this letter to people who were in a theological war with Judaizers. These were Jewish Christians who had come upon the scene and began things that you needed to do in order to really be saved. They were attaching what their former life was onto their new life. And they were adding all of these restrictions, or especially one in particular, circumcision, back into the equation. Now these Judaizers were used to the do, 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 do component of life, right? 613 laws memorized. Many of them would not make sense to us today, right? Don't uh, cook a young goat in his mother's milk. That's not something we have to typically worry about. Don't eat an animal with a split hoof. When you tie the knot, the fourth knot down from the, ro- fr- uh, from, the, from the first knot on your robe has to be turned a particular way. I mean, there were all kinds of rules, of laws, And boy, if they could get them all right, if they could just get them all right, then they would be right with God. 
Paul is saying to them, listen, you are free because of what Christ has done, period. How does that resonate in our vernacular? Well, uh, in our lives, the the Christ-centered life is not based on performance. We can so easily get caught up in performance. Uh, Performance of, I go to church, and therefore God is pleased with me. I read my Bible. I've read my Bible every day this year. Woohoo! 11 days. That means God's got to be happy with me, right? I am, uh, well, I am, I am going to do something significant at the church this year. I'm going to spend more time up there. And so somehow we equate time with God's approval of us. And we can jump in full throttle into this performance component. And no, it's not cooking a young goat in his mother's milk. But yet it's still performance. And the reality is, God has delivered us, and it's not based on our performance. If anything, we have underperformed because sin is in the house. We have been made right with God by faith, not by keeping the law, not by performance. This, this, this word, there's a word in here in Galatians 5, and you can see if you look back with me for a moment. It's the word opportunity. And in this, in this particular passage here, whenever he says, uh, don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, that, that word in the Greek is actually a for me. And that word is a springboard. It means to spring from or use as a base of operations. And so what, what Paul is using in this visual language here is, hey, listen, your freedom is propelling you towards something. You're no longer a slave to sin that you cannot get out of. You are propelled toward this freedom. What are we propelled toward? We're propelled toward a life of choices. Forrest Gump, box of chocolates, right? We've got lots of choices here. Freedom, but freedom to do what? To live self-centered or selfless. Choices to move toward the Savior. Choices to move toward sin. Chaining myself up to my sinful nature or chaining myself up to the Savior. Which means, as we've looked at before, recognizing that I am, as Paul describes often in his letters, a bondservant. That what I have chosen to do is allow God to drive a spike into my ear as the slave would do when his freedom came. To say, no, now I choose to be with you. I choose to stay with you. I could do anything, but I choose as a bondservant to stay with you, Jesus. Well, how shall we live? What shall we do? How shall we allow this life to be lived? I was thinking about this in the context of mowing grass. I'm not a real big fan of mowing grass. Maybe that's the reason why I live in Lantana. They just cut the front yard for me, which makes a lot of sense, except all my grass is dead in the front yard, so it's kind of irrelevant. All the grass that grows at our house is in the backyard. That's what I have to mow. But there, were year, there was years ago when Holly and I had first gotten married and we were actually uh, living in this rent house in Baton Rouge. And it was a huge, it was a huge backyard. 
right? And so with this rent house, we had inherited this swing set, and, and we didn't have kids yet. We were just married, and, and uh, I was working at this church. And, and so it, Holly's dad very graciously uh, gave us or swapped something with us or whatever to have this riding lawnmower, right? Because uh, there's a big lot for a rent house, like ridiculous, right? Oh my goodness, it's not even mine. I've got to keep all this. And so I'm on this, I'm on this riding, and I, and I am just resentful of the fact that, first of all, I don't like this grass. Second of all, I don't like to mow. It's thick grass. I mean, in Baton Rouge, it's like a hundred times thicker, right, than here in, in, in North Texas. And, and then on top of all that, there's like a mosquito for every millimeter of space. I mean, it's just every, it's just every, it's just awful. And I'm out there and I'm sprayed down and I'm mowing. And even though I'm not even pushing something, I'm just riding on it. I'm just irritable, right? And I'm going to get this done as fast as I possibly can. And so there's this swing set. And in the past, I've kind of, you know, kind of gotten off and just kind of clipped around it or edged around it or whatever. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not even going to worry about that. I'm just going to, I'm just going to ride right under the swing set and just keep on going. And so I'm like, you can see where I'm headed with this. I'm riding on the lawnmower, and I'm just, here comes the swing set. I'm like, oh, I'm missing it. And somehow, I'm not real sure even to this day how this happened, but one of the swings caught me underneath this arm and my neck. And, I, and the mower kept going because it was in automatic. And there was a, there was a fence right here because this, it was pushed up against kind of this fence. It was enough for me to get around, but not really enough for me to get about if I'm hanging myself. And so I'm like, it's going under and I'm, and I'm going, oh, I'm about to die. I'm being ripped off of this. And at that moment, uh, my right foot goes up underneath the steering wheel. And at that, the lawnmower hits the fence and begins to break boards of the fence And as it does that, it starts to turn. My foot hits the steering wheel, turns it slightly to the left to release just enough tension for me to fall off and for the the mower to come to a stop along the fence. I got up, turned around, looked back toward the house. My loving wife (laughs) had been watching the whole time. She was, uh, she was not calling 911. She, I think she was crying, laughing, hysterically. Um, juxtapose that with my stepfather, who at the same exact time on this timeline was living at the house that I grew up in with my mom. And this gentleman was not only cutting his house, but multiple other neighbors' houses just because he loved them. Just because he could. Just because maybe they couldn't. And I look at that picture and I think, you know, here's selfish, get it done fast. I hate this task. All about my time. It's all about me, Randy, strangling myself. And here's my stepfather, Dan. Who in the moment, it's all about everybody else. It's not about how much time it's going to take. It's about how he can be a blessing to others. And I look at that picture and I think, you know what? That is the freedom that we have. I had the freedom to cut the grass. Could have even thought of my other neighbors. No. I was self-centered. It's all about me. Awful attitude. 
or selfless. You know, Paul is also preaching against this twisted idea that's occurring in the church. And that is that somehow this, this, this becomes this awesome mashup, right? It's just this wonderful marriage of, hey, I'm a really great sinner and God is a really great forgiver. So I can do whatever in the world that I want to do and God is going to forgive me. And we can just keep this thing going where I watch this or engage in this or think this or do this. And because I've got this get out of jail free forgiveness card from God... I can just always play that, and life is good. But Jesus says, you know, if you love me, you'll obey me. And and, and by the way, abused freedom is always going to bring pain. I'll either be enslaved to Christ, or I'll be enslaved to sin. The question is, how will I serve? What's that going to look like? How will that look like as I think through my family relationships this week? What about the people that I work with? What about my neighbors? What about the people that are within this body? How is my life orientated in such a way that I can serve them? To live a life of see the need, meet the need. That's the challenge. Because when we live that life then we are Reese McHugh, making the ace, serving the serve. That is the point. If not, we lose again and again and again, and we end up destroying ourselves and others. That's what's in this Galatians 5 passage. Do you see it? He says, but if you bite and devour one another, if your eyes are focused on you, right? Watch out, because you're going to consume each other. The word devour there in the Greek, the readers would have seen that and understood that as a, descri- as a word that would describe a dog or a cat fight. In the New Testament, we saw all types of evidences of this. Right? If you go through the letters in the New Testament, what do you find? In Acts chapter 5, actually, um, another, another uh, book that, uh, that the Dr. Luke wrote, uh, we find the church... Involved in lying and hypocrisy. In Acts 6, there's complaining and murmuring. In Acts 6 and Galatians 2, there are accusations of preferential treatment and racism. In 1 Corinthians 5, we find sexual immorality. In 1 Corinthians 6, we have suing other members of the church. In 1 Corinthians 11, we have abusing the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians 12, we have abusing spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians 16, we have a lack of giving. In Philippians 2, 1 1 and 2, we have division among church members. And this is all happening inside the church. And the New Testament writers are writing to this. Why is it happening in the church? It's happening in the church because the church started to become inward focused. Problems are on the horizon. We stop doing life the way God intended it, both as individuals and as the church. We become, as this book reminds my children when we read it, we become minosaurs. I don't know if you've got this book or not. It's a great book. It, it, it walks through this dinosaur who's like very, very selfish, right? And, and, and what are the ramifications of that? He winds up alone and seeing all the other dinosaurs there hanging out, having a great time. And his selfish actions have moved him into this moment of isolation. Mine, mine, mine. It's all about me. When we allow our freedom to become bent towards self-centeredness rather than selfishness, the enemy officially has a foothold in our lives. And when it happens in the church, it, it not only begins to corrupt us, but it, it tarnishes God's image in the local community. 
I've grown up in the church all my life. Some of you have too. You know how this looks, right? It's when the church starts to look like every other civic or social organization. When all of a sudden we discover that 80% of the work is being done by 20% of the people. And we've discovered that those 20% are not only doing 80% of the work, they're doing multiple jobs, right? Many of you worship here tonight and then return tomorrow to serve in multiple roles. How does that look like in the church? Often it looks like this. People wind up living life in the church burned out. Difficult, difficult times for people when they just give and give and give and give and give and turn around and wind up sensing resentment or frustration because they feel like they're shouldering so much of the load. And then Satan even gets into the life of the servant and the church becomes corrupted. I know that uh, if, that's, if, that's, if that's you, if you're going to serve um, tomorrow or if you already have a, a place where you serve somewhere in the church, you can like, disconnect for a minute and you know, play on your phone, do whatever, daydream for a moment. I'll, I'll bring you back in a second. For the rest of you, can I just say this? Um, for, for way too many times, there are sermons like this that have been all about guilt. That it's been all about, you know what, you're not doing something and you need to do it and this is the way it needs to be and blah, 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 you know. And here's the reality. If you've heard that and you've been hurt by the church because of that, I want to apologize to you because that's not the message the church should be sending. You know what the church should be sending to you? That we want you to experience the fullness in Christ that you were designed to live. And we want to help you out the best way that we can for you to live life the way God designed you to live it. We don't want you to miss out. And so as we think through living life by God's design, we recognize that we want to help you serve aces for the kingdom. We want to help you wind up doing damage to the enemy. We want to help you see God's big vision for you. He doesn't want you to miss him in the morning. He doesn't want you to miss him in his work. He wants you to be included in that. And we want to help that happen. It's not about whether or not you show up here more to the church. Our role as equippers should be helping you recognize what you can do to be the church. It's not about how much you are at church. It's helping each one of us understand how we are the church. And so as we, and I guess the rest of you can keep listening now. And so as, as we think through these positions within the church and we talk about, oh, you could work in student ministry, you could work, and there's a tear off in your worship folder right now. And you can look through options right there. There's some significant needs we have in children's ministry, no doubt. And as we look to what God is doing and what, what he's doing here, what he's doing on Sundays, lots of needs from shaking hands to uh, teaching kids to facilitating small groups to hosting a small group in your house to, I mean, you, you name it. There's so many. We had a serving, uh, a, a, a ministry servant time here this morning. And I looked at the room and thought, what a blessing to have all these people here. I wish it was doubled. But again, not because I think people just need to spend more time at church, but because I believe what we are supposed to be doing is helping you understand how to be the church.
Too often, I think people within the church, not anyone here at Rock Point, right? I, 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 absolutely not. None, none of us, me. Oh, I've never been guilty of this. We begin to expect that the church owes us something or will do or, or should provide something for us. I'll never forget this phone call that I received one time from a, a friend of mine. He used to be an intern of mine, and he was serving as a, pa- as a youth pastor in this church. And he said, Randy, I wanted to call you just to share with you this great news. And I was like, oh, I can't wait. You know, probably kids got baptized, saved, whatever. Good stuff happened. I can't wait to hear. And he said, Randy, I, here's the deal. We got to get rid of the burnt orange shag carpet. And I what? He's like, no, seriously, I mean, like, we inherited this youth room, and it's like 35 years old, and uh, the guy who put it in finally died this week. And we haven't been able to get rid of this burnt orange. He was like a UT guy, which, bless his heart, fine, that's good. But he, he had a stranglehold on that carpet. It's like he donated to the church. The church owed him to keep it in that room until he finally passed away. And they were doing a big celebration that they got to rip up the carpet. I was like, you know, he, he died. Anyway. I'm so thankful we're not a part of a church that sticks people's names all over the place for what they've donated. That it's just the body of Christ. That we're just here and we're giving and we're serving and we're being. And it's just, you know what? No, nobody owes me anything. I don't deserve anything. Christ has come in and done everything for me. Believers in America have perfected the art, I believe, of church hopping and church shopping. The quest for the church that best fits our needs and wants. And don't get me wrong, I think there are some legitimate way, reasons for you to look at options of church membership. There really are. I, there, there's a couple that we've listed this weekend. Uh, you know, maybe God has called you to a specific place or position of service in another church. Maybe you've moved out of an area where your current church exists. Maybe the church does not affirm or practice the Great Commission, and you realize that and go, hey, that's, that's, a, that's, that's what my life is about, reaching people. And my church, it just isn't about that. Maybe the, church, the Bible is not recognized as authoritative or God's final word. Maybe the church falls into superstitious stitches, stitch, uh, things they can't say, uh, beliefs, practices, rejects God's word. Maybe the church has covered up the immorality of its leaders. Maybe there's no financial accountability. That's not an exhaustive list, but those are all reasons why people may shift and change and, and very understandable. I also know people who have experienced those things and stayed and allowed God to use them in moments of restoration and stabilizing and uh, repairing the church, and that became their mission. But there are also reasons not to leave the church just because somebody makes you mad or, or hurts your feelings or a time shifts a little bit in a worship service or a bit of a style change happens here or there or uh, children don't think it's fun at this very moment or uh, you, you get passed over for a position that you feel like you deserved or there's a better preacher on the other side of town and you want to go see what might be a little bit better over there or a, a better worship leader or you just don't think you need to go anymore. And can I just tell you that what, what is underlying in those reasons becomes built more on this serve self side of the table, right? And we have to be so very careful, so very careful of who we serve. In countries where I've been on mission, I find it interesting that believers tend to gather with other believers primarily out of 
singular commonality that they love Jesus. And that's enough. And they celebrate their differences and work through them to build his kingdom. But you know what? That's enough. It's enough to be on mission. It's enough. The work is enough to just focus on that. I I think in this Minosaur book, the significance here on this page is when they're hanging out here having a great time on uh, page number. Well, they don't do page numbers because kids don't pay attention to that. But right here, they're just hanging out, and he's over here on his little kingdom right here. He's hanging out on his little tower all by himself looking over here going, what in the world have I done? And wow, I think church in America, sometimes we look like this one because we're so captivated by me, by my needs, by my... And we miss the party of serving that God wants to throw every day as he builds his kingdom. You know, as, as we begin to close down the service and think through what this means to us, I hope that what you see yourself as is someone that's in progression. Because all of those types of mindsets about the church and what the church is or what it isn't or what my role is or what the church is doing or what it isn't, you know what? It's filled up in the auditorium all these different times and ways with different people, and I get that. The church is for people who are imperfect, and we all are. I get it. The question is, am I in progression moving? Some of us showed up here, and we're just checking things out. We don't even know if we're going to follow Christ, much less connect to a church. We do dinner with the pastor monthly. We've got one coming up tomorrow night. would love to sign you up for it. You can come check out what this church believes, who we are. Dig down a little bit deeper into the pastor's life and, and, and what started all this and what he believes and meet our staff. And uh, You want to do that? Talk to me. I'll get you signed up. We'll, we'll, we'll do that tomorrow night. Okay, Free dinner, free child care. If you weren't sure what you're going to do for dinner tomorrow night, it's, it's, a, it's a win, right? And you're in that moment, and that's good. And you know what? Some of us have moved beyond that, and we've stepped into, boy, we're just regular attenders, and we're hanging out, and we're even consuming some, and I get that, and we're just kind of, wow, we're, we're getting in the flow. We're getting in gear. We're doing this thing. It's, it's good stuff, you know? But again, if that's just where we stay, wow, we've missed it, because what God wants us to do is a part of a church that is not just attending, not just checking things out, not just kicking the tires, not just consuming, but actually producing, replicating that my life is to be a disciple and a true disciple means that I am a disciple maker. And how do I do that? I do that in a life that is thinking outside of myself where I am focused on serving others. And when I don't do that, you know what? The church comes inward and that's what Paul was saying. It starts to devour itself. It starts to chew itself up. As we close, I was just thinking about these, uh, these pictures here in the scripture uh, Jesus. Uh, Jesus is, is, is hanging out in John chapter 13. If you look with me here on, this, on the screen, it says, uh, Now by the time of supper, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, and he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his robe, took a towel, and tied it around himself. And next he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them. And the towel 
tied around, with the towel tied around him. This is the last time that Jesus is going to be hanging out with all these guys before his crucifixion. He knew that he was going to be deserted. He knew that there would be cowardice. He knew that there was going to be denial. This final moment together, and you know what he does? In this final, final moment, he whispers into their ear. He says, buy stock in Microsoft. And the winner of the first Super Bowl is Green Bay. No, he doesn't. He embodies what matters most. He gives them a visual representation of who he came to be and who they came to be, what they came to do. He serves. We are never more like Jesus than when we serve. Mark 10, 45. What did he say about himself? He said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. What does that impact mean for us? Last verses we'll look at Philippians 2, verse 5. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. Follow him. Who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave. It's that word again taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even a death on a cross. Our true freedom is only realized within the slavery of love. How are we doing there? The words in the scene from Les Mis that we looked at to begin this time together were these. You'll always be a slave. But then the rest of it goes like this. Look down, look down. You're standing in your grave. What a great picture. We're free. We're free. And yet we'll always be a slave. How will we choose to live? By recognizing that we are standing in our grave. That we have died to self. That it's not about me. That it's not about my eyes focused on how I can serve me. No, that every day I wake up and I take the paddle and I hold the ball And I score the ace because I say to God, God, I stand in my grave today. It's not about me. Then I serve to win. Let's pray. God, wow, what a great reminder that as Christ followers, It is our opportunity to now serve. And we have a choice with that service. God, may our service be one that propels us into loving others. God, may our freedom propel us that direction. And not into serving ourselves. Not to go back. Not to go back 
into the chains that you already bought and paid and set us off for us to be freed of. God, thanks for that reminder. God, may we fight for that every day. May we look down and recognize that we are standing in a grave that you, by the blood of Jesus, have paid for. God, thank you for the reminder that it's not about performance, that it's not about guilt, but it really is about freedom, being freed to serve you to live life the way you designed it. God, may that resonate in each one of us as we walk out of this room. As we worship you, as we finish out in communion, as we finish out in this time together, God, may your words that we've read today resonate in us. And may we take this communion in joy, recognizing what you have done. And with grateful hearts, end our worship moment in this place.